Hello, Hazelnuts, and welcome back to Hello, Haze, my advice show. I'm Hayes, your host. It's me you're saying hello to. This week in our letters, we're talking about feeling inadequate, and it's no coincidence that I chose this topic on this day, two days into the new year, when I think many of us tend to focus on all the, all the big things that we didn't do, all the ways we failed and all the ways we promised to do better in the future. I am personally exhausted by my own tendency to do this, and I'm very grateful for my friends who are reminding me that I'm doing okay. These are my friends in real life, and it's also you, my, my internet friends, the seventh most important bestie in the six besties theory. So I, I wanted to make this episode because I wanted to return the favor. I wanted to give you back what you're giving to me, and alas, here we are. If you're new to the show, every episode features three different letters. Here's a sneak peek of what we have today. In our first letter, we have someone who has yet to find a lasting love. All the relationships ended amicably, but they can't help but wonder if there's something wrong with them. In our second letter, a high school student notices a change in their friendships and asks me, how do I stop comparing myself to other people and start putting effort into things that give effort back to me? And in our third and final letter, we hear from someone who is worried that jealousy will ruin their current relationship. They ask, how can I improve my self-esteem and stop living in the past? But before I start, before I dive in, I also just want to say thank you. I am very grateful to the thousands of you who are here and listening and giving me the opportunity to practice and make stuff and work out the kinks all in public, which can be a really scary thing. And I'm forever grateful that it's you all who I get to practice with. And these episodes have stretched me. They're some of the hardest things I've ever done and I am learning every week and they're not perfect. Um, but I appreciate, I just want you to know that I really appreciate your attention and I don't take your attention for granted. So thank you. All right. Time for the episode. Hello, Hayes. Earlier this year, I met someone and that thing that I had always heard about but never experienced, it finally happened. Everything in me just knew. He expressed the same to me, saying things like, when you know, you know. The relationship was giving invisible string, full of wild connections and coincidences that brought us together. But then something complicated came up and our relationship ended. In our last conversation, he expressed that he wanted me in his life. He wanted to do things like go stargazing with me, but he wasn't prepared to be someone's boyfriend. I was heartbroken, but grateful to have experienced those magical feelings and immense personal growth within this relationship. I never asked him for anything more than he could give because I didn't want to be in a relationship I had to beg for either. I haven't heard from him since that day. I noticed from social media that he has a girlfriend now. This has happened to everyone I've dated. Right after we end, they find someone they commit to for a long time. It's become hard to ignore the pattern. I'm confident in myself as a person, Hayes. I've done a lot of self-work over the years, and I've come to understand what I need, why I respond to things the way I do, what my emotional triggers are, and how to effectively communicate. I have wonderful friends and family who fill my life with love. Still, I find myself harboring sadness and insecurity. I've heard time and time again that they always come back, and yet none of the people from my romantic past do, not even for a booty call. They all very quickly find their person. I'm on good terms with everyone where I feel like I could call them up and they'd pick up. There was nothing inherently bad in those relationships. I wish I knew what the thing about me was that makes it so easy to walk away and never turn back, and what makes it so that these people are suddenly ready to commit to the next girl they meet. Yours, always the one before. Oh man, always the one before. You know that I'm all about self-awareness and asking ourselves questions and seeing our role that we had in the situation, but sometimes the questions we ask ourselves, sometimes it's not worth it to ask ourselves those questions, or we're just asking ourselves the wrong ones. When somebody doesn't love us, I don't think it's our job to answer why. 
sometimes it's inexplicable. Sure, sometimes you do something wrong. Something happens that makes a relationship end. But it's not a worthy use of your time to be sitting here thinking, what, what about me? What about me is so different from the next girl they meet? We have to, we, you have to stop doing that. Because really the question you're asking me is why am I unworthy of love? And you're so worthy of love. The fact that these past relationships haven't worked out with you, haven't worked out, they say nothing about who you are, what you're worth, how lovable you are. They say nothing about that. There's nothing about you that's easy to walk away from. However, the reality is that every relationship we're in does teach us more about ourselves, who we are as partners, what we like in partners, and even what we like in friends. I wonder if you could put yourself more actively in the driver's seat in this situation. So instead of just sitting here wondering, why didn't they love me? Why wasn't I good enough? Start thinking about what you learned from these relationships, what you liked, what you didn't like. You are not, mm, I don't want to use the V word here, the victim word, but these relationships didn't just happen to you. You're not just sitting on the side of the road after they dropped you off, you know? You were sitting in the front seat, you stepped out of the car by your own accord, and you can look back at the drive along the way and think about what did you like about this last relationship and what didn't you like? There's got to be some things. And that little mental reframe of instead of asking, why not me, start asking, why not them? Now let's talk about the phrase, they always come back. One of the worst things you can say to someone after a breakup is, don't worry, they'll come back. That's the worst thing to say to anybody who's going through something hard where somebody leaves them or they feel rejected because, well, for the obvious reason, it might not be true. It might not be true. And then you feel bad when that happens. You feel bad when everyone around you is saying, don't worry, they're going to come back. They're going to come crawling back. And then they don't. It leaves you asking the exact same question that you're asking yourself right now, which is why not? Why not? Not even for a booty call. A booty call isn't a good thing. But when people give us advice like that, it makes us want something that actually isn't even good for us. It's also problematic because it hinges our ability to move on, to feel confident and better about ourselves on being wanted, on somebody else wanting us. It takes something that is totally within our control. It makes it so that it makes it so that our ability to feel better about ourselves doesn't lie within us. It's external. And that can't be, that cannot be the advice we give to somebody who's healing from heartbreak. I try to think about if it's ever actually made me feel better in the moment. I suppose it has because it elicits like that, that vindictive, like that revenge feeling that I think we all have inside of us. But ultimately, we can't let our worthiness be predicated on whether someone else feels that we're worthy. If don't worry, they'll come back is currently in your arsenal of things to say to someone who's just been broken up with. Don't say it to them anymore. Always the one before. The reality is that you won't always be the one before. Whatever it is you want, you will have. It might not look exactly the way that you're imagining it now, but I want you to have the delusional, it's not actually delusional, don't use that word, Hayes. I want you to have the belief that the things you want, you will receive. You will not always be the one before, so stop identifying yourself that way. I truly... I'm going to share one of my delusional beliefs with you because I think it relates here. I somehow, I don't know if I always felt this way, but I somehow have this belief that I know the things I want are going to happen to me. I feel incredibly frustrated sometimes when they're not happening at the exact time that I think it would be convenient for them to happen. I'm frustrated that it's not happening to me right now because in my brain, I'm like, if I just get everything I want right now, then I will finally be happy then I will finally be satisfied. I've learned that that is not the case <laughs> because every time you get something you want, you want something more. Even a relationship, right? A relationship will not solve 
all of the insecurities within us, this feeling you have of, am I worthy of love? Hate to break it to you, but even if you do find love, even when you do find love that is worthy of you, some of these insecurities will still persist because living is a, being being alive is about having insecurity. But the things you want, you will have. The things you want, you will have. You're going to have to work hard to get them. And part of working hard for you might be stop pitying yourself, stop wondering why you're unlovable. It might just be that reframe, honestly. Sometimes when we I don't want to say that sometimes all we need to do is shift our perspective and suddenly our world is better, but sometimes that actually does help, <laughs> right? Like you thinking about your relationship in terms of what you liked about it and what you didn't like about it instead of why didn't they like me? Why didn't they like me? That little shift could start to have a positive trickle effect in the rest of your life. I want you to really trust that you will not always be the one before. You won't always be the one before. If you want to be the one for someone, if that's something that you want in your life, you will have that. I can't promise you that it's going to come this year or next year or that it's going to be an easy journey, but you will have it. So I want you to practice just having that belief. You have to just have divine trust that it's going to work out. And I know that that sounds kind of woo-woo, but in my own life about the things that I want, it I, I mean, sometimes when I feel like I'm hanging on by a fucking thread, which in this New Year season, I feel this way all the goddamn time. That is the thread that I am hanging on to. I have trust that it's going that it's going to work out. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I have trust that it's going to work out and that I'm going to be okay and that I'm going to feel the things I want to feel. So behind behind this desire to not be the one before, right? Your desire to be the one, to be worthy of love. What are the things that you want to feel? Instead of associating them with a relationship, maybe break down what are the things that you want to feel? What are the feelings associated there? Because then we can, if we can associate the feelings that you're looking for, connection, loyalty, specialness, not a, not a very, not a very academic word. You know what I'm saying? What are the feelings that you're looking for? Because I bet that we can also find those feelings in other places in the meantime, while you're looking for love, because we don't know how long it'll take. I actually think that exploring why we want the things we want is a really great exercise. And it's been something that I've been trying to do recently when I feel overwhelmed by the things that I want. I want a million people to be a part of the Hello Haze community. Why? Why do I so desperately want that feeling of a million subscribers, of a million followers? And I'm, I'm using the word desperate. Uh, I'm embarrassed to use the word desperate, but the word desperate is true. Um, it does feel desperate sometimes because desperate, even though it's a word that we're taught to be ashamed of, I think of desperate as like that feeling when you're like, oh my God, if I just have this thing, everything else will feel better. And sometimes my desire to grow feels like that. So why? Why do I feel that way? Well, <laughs> there's two answers. There's the, you know, there's the intellectual answer, which is that I want, I believe that my work is meaningful and I believe that we are lonely and we need connection. And this is one way for us all to connect. And I love to write and I love to hear stories and I believe that the work is worthy of a million people participating in it. But the more emotional and perhaps the more honest answer is that I want to feel validated and I want to feel loved and I want to feel all of these other stupid things that shouldn't come from somebody else's validation of me. I don't know exactly what to do with that information, but I bet that I can find those feelings in places outside of, you know, a million followers because we can't depend, we can't, uh, what's the word? We can't 
hinge our happiness on getting the one thing we think we want because we might not get that thing, you know? So if I can say, well, I'm looking for validation, I'm looking for support, I'm looking for community, where else can I get that in the meantime? I believe that I'll have what I want, right? I don't know if it's going to be a million followers, it might look different, but I believe that I'll have through hard work and through reflection and through all of the stuff that I tell you to do, I'm doing too. I believe that we'll have what we want, that we'll feel the way we want, but we have to take some of the pressure off of looking for it in that one place. We have to be kind to ourselves along the way. You know, these emotions, these emotions that we feel are part of getting there. They're just part of it. They're just part of it. Back to the topic though of questioning ourselves and self-awareness. Something that struck me in your letter is how much pride you seem to take in how amicably your breakups went. And I do think that that's something to be proud of, right? You mentioned that you'd be able to call any of them up and you think they'd pick up because you were on good terms. I know you haven't spoken to this particular ex, but I'm curious if your other exes are people you stay in touch with. I do think it's a, I do think that's a wonderful trait, you know? It does say something great about you that you were able to have amical breakups where everything was smooth. But I, I'm curious if that in and of itself is a coping mechanism that is stopping you from tapping into some truer, deeper frustrations about the fact that you haven't found this relationship that you're looking for. Maybe it's stopping you from tapping into the grief over relationships not working out. You seem to just be a super buttoned up person. You know, you mentioned all of the self-work you've done and how well you understand yourself. And I think that people like that, people like us, sometimes we can rob ourselves of the big messy feelings. I don't want you to think that your ease, your flexibility, how nice you were in all of your breakups, I don't want you to think that that somehow is what makes you worthy of love, that that's what makes you a good person. Your ease is not what makes you, your ease is not what makes you lovable. One final thing. You said that you noticed on social media that the last guy has a girlfriend now. Number one, feel free to block him, okay? It's okay to block your exes. I know that you feel proud of how well you handle your breakups and how good terms you are. You don't need to see their life, you know? If it still feels raw for you and it's bringing up these insecure feelings, block them, mute them. I am pro-blocking, let's just say that. But also, listen, you said that it's hard to become the pattern, that every person you've been with has found somebody after, somebody that they seemingly commit to. Well, one, strong on the seemingly. We don't know what's going on in their lives unless you're talking to them. But what it looks like on social media, we know is not always true. Two, don't read too much into that pattern. It's not like after every guy, it's not like every person that dates you afterwards, they go to a silent retreat or they do this like really peculiar behavior that would so clearly be about you. You're not like the springboard for a complete life change. Them finding somebody to date after dating you is a pretty normal thing to happen after a breakup. If it says anything, it means that you are intentionally not dating fuckboys. Like, you're dating people who want to be in relationships. That's not a bad thing. Don't read too much into it. I don't say that to dismiss your feelings, but just there are some patterns that are uh, worthy of digging into and exploring, but this, I don't think this is one of them. Anyway, I think it's time to move on to the next letter. Hello, Hayes. I'm a senior in high school, and I've recently realized that I compare myself way too much. At least that's what I think is going on. I get disappointed when I'm not where I want to be in certain aspects of my life. For example, I'm not as social as I wish I was. I constantly see my peers going out and doing classic high schooly things that I wish I was doing or was invited to. I blame it on my type of friends or not going out and initiating these things in the first place. 
I also worry about where I stand with my two best friends. They're the people I'm closest to and usually hang out with, but this year our lunch schedules don't line up, and I've had to sit with another friend. She's nice, but I usually feel like I'm imposing on her and her group of friends. Most importantly, though, I feel like my two best friends have taken a step back from me. They've ignored multiple of my messages that I send outside of school, like, do you guys want to hang out? Or other random questions that are meant to start a conversation. My problem isn't that they don't respond right away. I know everyone is busy, but it's hurtful when they don't even acknowledge it and send a different message and leave mine in the dust. Things like this make me feel conflicted. It hurts my feelings, but because I love them and they're my best friends, I think I should keep trying to reach out. These were just the big examples that came to mind, and the rest are usually small comments that I make to myself while going through the school day. Here's the important part, Hayes. What I really want is to be able to move on. I wish I wasn't so absorbed in what others are doing and was able to focus on myself and what I can do to grow into the person that I want to be. I want to learn how to put effort into things that will give me the same effort back. I want to stop comparing and finally get over myself. Yours, 17. Oh, 17. I agree with you that I think comparison and insecurity is definitely a part of what's going on here. And we're going to talk about that. But there's also the real truth of who we spend our time with. And if we're not spending our time with the right people, our comparison, our insecurity, our depression, our burnout, all of the feelings <laughs> that plague us, that are plaguing us right now as we head into this new year, cough, cough, me, plaguing me, they can be cured or they can be ex exacerbated, exacerbated, cured or intensified by who we hang out with. So let's talk about these two best friends of yours. <sighs> Something we learn with age, but you already have within you is our gut. Our gut is there for a reason, and I want you to trust it. Now, trusting our gut, getting to know our gut is something that we have to practice and get used to listening to. Sometimes we might not listen to it in the right way because we're still learning it. Sometimes what we think is our gut isn't our gut. Sometimes what we think is our gut is our self-sabotage. Sometimes self-sabotage disguises itself as your gut. It's like, oh, look at me. I'm your gut telling you to do this. But really, it's just that's your self-sabotage voice. And we have to, part of growing up and part of this trial and error period is learning to tell the difference. But this feeling that you notice in your gut, I think that's where it's coming from, that you love these friends. They're the two people that you're closest to. But your gut is showing you that they're not making you feel good. The way you feel about these friends is not the standard, okay? It might be the standard right now, and for people listening, they might be like, oh, well, if I'm not with these people, if I'm not with the people who make me feel like shit, then I'm going to be alone. I'm going to have to sit by myself. Sometimes sitting by ourself is better. I've done both. I've done it all. I have eaten lunch in the bathroom by myself because I had no one to sit with, and I've been in a group of friends that bring out the worst in me because I was scared of going back to the bathroom, and I'll tell you that being with people who make you feel bad, who make you question yourself and every single thing you say, that is worse okay? It's worse. It's more damaging. I'm proud to be the girl that ate by herself in the bathroom sometimes. I'm proud of that experience because it's made me stronger and more empathetic. I'm proud of getting through all of these painful moments. So I, I want to just, like, let's congratulate you because you're already starting to notice something and you're starting to question it. And this feeling of like, huh, these people that I'm supposed to love, these people who I'm supposed to be friends with, they're not making me feel good. That's, you're going to notice this feeling coming up throughout your life with other friends, with partners, with your job. And sometimes the feeling is like, all right, you know, put on your big girl pants and get over it. Sometimes that's the, sometimes that is the answer to, oh, well, this person, I don't like the way this person's making me feel. Your adult life starts now. The decisions you make now at 17 matter and they set the tone for what you're gonna accept in the future. So we're starting today. We're starting today. 
There's a brilliant thing you said. There's so many brilliant things you said. One of them is that you want to stop putting effort into things that don't put effort back. What a simple but profound phrase. I want to stop putting effort into things that don't put effort back into me. And you know how we do that? We do that through practice. We learn it by being brave, by doing it even when we're scared. And let me tell you, it's scary to stop putting effort into some things that we think we're supposed to, to stop putting effort into things that we've told ourselves are our lifeline. But you have to do it anyway. You have to do it scared. If you are regularly texting someone to do something, they're not responding, they're ignoring you, and you're feeling sad about it, stop doing it. Stop reaching out to them. You could also say something to these friends. I go back and forth about when is a good time to say something, to bring it up, because part of me is like, you actually already have your information because if they wanted to hang out, they would respond to your texts. There's that sort of simplified way of looking at it. So you already have the information you need. I don't know if it's always helpful to confront someone over something we already know. I know a lot of people get satisfaction out of making people say something, out of making people tell them that the truth, but I don't think that a lot of people are capable of telling the truth. Your 17-year-old friends, they might not be as emotionally mature as you. So I think that my rationale sometimes for telling people to get over it internally instead of confronting someone is because I don't like putting any of our healing work in the hands of somebody else. I don't like saying, well, I just need to hear the truth from them so that I can understand and move on. Actions speak louder than words. They're showing you who they are. When people show us who they are, we have to listen. We have to look at what's happening, right? Because they could say, oh no, oh no, 17, like everything's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry. But that could be a lie. We have to focus on the actions. Now, I think you can do both in tandem. I think that you can take the actions at face value and make your own decisions. Stop stop giving things that aren't giving back to you. And you can also say something. So what could it look like to say something to these two best friends? Well, for one, I probably would say something individually rather than you to the group. If you see them in school, saying something in person is always, I think it's always better. Not because we catch someone by surprise, but because there's something about in-person connection where I think where we're more empathetic. What would I say? I don't know if I would do the whole did I do something? Are you mad at me thing? Like you first have some self-awareness. Like, did you do anything that they might be upset with you about? Was there, is there any secret drama that I'm not aware of that you might have done? If not, and there's really no reason for them to be mad at you, don't put yourself into that shell position where you are willing to take any blame and you're willing to be a punching grounds just because you want to be received in the group. I don't like it when we do that. When we say, are you mad at me? Did I do something wrong? When you know you didn't. You know you didn't. You being who you are is not doing something wrong. If someone doesn't like you for who you are and they've decided that you're not worth their friendship anymore, they want to blow you off, they want to exclude you from the group, that's not you doing something wrong. So don't even give them the opportunity to say that you did. I think you could start by mentioning how you miss having lunch together. There's your entry point. And then you can say, we haven't been able to hang out in a while. Are you around this weekend? Maybe actually, maybe even better than saying, are you around this weekend, is to ask something specific. So do you want to go to the football game together on Friday night? Ask them to do something specific rather than vague. But whatever you say, I wouldn't put yourself into like the bad girl position. Don't assume you've done wrong. 
I also want to talk about the new girl that you sit with, and I'm so glad she's nice. When you're sitting with them at lunch and you say that you feel like you're imposing, this is a good example of like tapping into that gut feeling and what the gut feeling is. I understand that feeling so well, and it doesn't go away when you leave high school. A similar feeling comes up in work. You might be in a position where you are suddenly sitting around the table with people who you don't feel like you can contribute at their level, or they might intimidate you. You might have the experience of being the only, and I think that that feeling is very similar to the one you're describing, maybe. Sometimes that feeling comes up that makes us feel inadequate because it's an insecurity. We're nervous. We're out of our comfort zone. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the situation is dangerous. It might. It fully might. And this is where being able to differentiate between gut feeling fight or flight and, okay, I'm just nervous and I need to put my big girl pants on. That's when that taps in. And it is a learned skill. Sitting with a new group of girls at lunch, getting to know them when they're already a group, that's nerve-wracking. But if you can take a, if you can sort of zoom out of your body and look at the situation, is there any evidence that they feel like you're imposing, that they're being mean to you? Similarly to how you've been able to look at your two best friends, how you can say, well, I've been texting them and they've been ignoring my texts, all of my texts, no response, leaving me in the dust. Are the girls at lunch doing any of those things to you? Try to look at the evidence. And depending on if this girl is nice, you can say to her, thank you for letting me No, I don't want to say letting me because that taps into that same mindset of being like, did I do something wrong? No one's letting you sit there. They're lucky you're sitting there. You could say, it's been so nice sitting with you and your friends at lunch. Sometimes I feel like I'm imposing, but I think it's just because it's nerve-wracking making new friends. That, I think, comes from a place of strength. It's not weak to admit that you feel like you're imposing. And you're giving the rationale. So I feel like I'm imposing sometimes because it's hard making new friends. That is honest and vulnerable and cool. There's a difference between that and saying, am I imposing on you guys? See the difference? One is saying, I feel this thing and it's uncomfortable, but here's why I think I'm feeling it. And I've loved sitting with you. And the other is, oh no, am I okay? Pity me. We want to, we can talk about the hard things that we feel from a place of strength. You mentioned that the examples with the girls are the big ones, the big examples of your feeling of inadequacy, but that there are small moments throughout the day where you talk to yourself and you say other things. I talk to myself all day long, and I've recently noticed that some of the stuff I'm saying to myself is not so nice. Just the other day, I heard myself saying, you're a lazy piece of shit. Nothing's going to happen to you because you're a lazy piece of shit. Oh, what? How did that come out of my mouth? I would never say that to anybody that I love. So why would I say that to myself? And if you notice that you're saying similar things to yourself, what I've been trying to do is just say, hey, hey, we don't say that. Try again. And then I literally force myself to say the other piece. One of the hazelnuts, Morgan, gave me this incredible tip, and it's called keeping a positive opposite list. Um, Her therapist suggested it, and now I'm taking it from her therapist, and now all of us can join in. And It's basically when you say something bad about yourself or you have a negative limiting belief, we replace it with a positive, with the positive opposite of that. So I asked her for an example. I'm like, this is what I I wrote to her in my messages. I'm reading it now. If I say to myself, Hayes, you're never going to achieve your dreams because you suck and aren't good enough, what's the positive opposite? She said, in my mind, it would be, I'm capable of doing the things I want to do. I work my ass off and things will come when they are supposed to. 
I am good enough. So you, sweet 17, and everybody listening, I want us all to try to do that. If you notice that there's a negative list of things that you keep saying to yourself, in your notes, in your notes app on your phone, write the positive opposites. Anyway, you ask me how, how do I stop comparing myself so I can become the person I want to be? Well, I am not sure that comparison ever goes away. In my 30 years, I have not seen it go away. I've seen it change. The thing that I compare myself to changes as my insecurities change, as my life evolves, as my priorities shift. I haven't ever seen it go away, and I don't have a magical cure for how to stop the feeling of comparison for coming up. It comes up whether I like it or not. But I have noticed when I have changed who I spend my time with, the way I compare myself changes and my ability to bounce back from comparison spirals changes. We need each other, okay? It's the balance. I feel like this is the yin and yang of my work. I do firmly believe that a lot of our healing comes from within and that we are responsible for a lot. We are responsible for a lot. And we so desperately need other people. Friends, we need friends. We need each other. (sighs) When I am comparing myself to somebody else's journey, I now have friends who can comfort me. And it is such a relief to share that burden with other people. And I hope that I do that for them too. So yes, it's on me in my moments of solitude to be able to come up with the positive opposite, to snap, to like stop saying those mean things to myself. But it's also on me to cultivate a group of people, a close inner circle who I trust and who make me feel better about myself and that I can do that for them too. But if my inner circle consisted of people who make me feel bad, I'd be fucking screwed. But as you become more intentional about who you spend time with, the more you're willing to be alone because you'd rather be alone than be with people who make you feel unworthy or unwanted, the more you do that, the more you practice, the more effort you put into, the more deliberate you are about not putting effort into things that don't give effort back to you, that's that's the work of creating the inner circle of your dreams. You want to have people who believe in you so much that you can borrow their belief in your low moments. I believe in you, and I hope you can borrow my belief right now. Another tool that I've been experimenting with when it comes to comparison is it's a visualization tool. And it's, I'm visualizing myself not just having and experiencing the things I want, but I'm visualizing myself telling somebody else about how I got there. So I have a lot of aspirations about building Hello Haze, for example. When I start to compare my journey to someone else's, you know, something I often do is I look at other people who seem to have overnight success and I'm like, why why is their success overnight and mine feels slow? I picture myself sitting in an interview where somebody is interviewing me, asking about my journey. And I picture myself telling them about my journey of building Hello Haze and how I got to where I am sitting in the chair today, sitting in that chair. And when I visualize that, I notice that it doesn't fucking matter how long it took me to get there. All that matters is that I'm sitting there. It doesn't matter that my story might not sound like, oh, well, one night I woke up and everything changed. One video changed my life. It doesn't matter that that wasn't my story. Something about picturing myself, not just picturing myself having it, but picturing myself telling someone else about how I got there, that gives me a lot of comfort. And it makes me feel like my journey is going to be okay. And my journey is going to be worthy. And I wonder if you can, if that can help you with this too. Picture yourself at 30, like me, telling somebody else 
about your journey learning how to put effort into things that give effort back to you. Because you're going to be able to do that. You're not only going to have the inner circle that I describe, but you're actually going to be able to look back at this period of your life and see that it was a moment where everything changed. You're going to be able to look back at this period and draw advice from it, draw insight from it. And that is going to be so unbelievably cool. You're going to be able to help someone with what you're going through now. And the last thing I want to say here is about becoming who you want to be. You say, I wish I wasn't so absorbed in what others are doing and was able to focus on myself and what I can do to grow into the person that I want to be. 17, you are becoming the person that you want to be. Comparing yourself to others, it's not stopping you from becoming that person. It's part of becoming that person. Remember, comparison doesn't ever go away. It's what we do with it, how we find comfort from others, how we allow ourselves to accept help. You're becoming the person you want to be and nothing is stopping you from doing that. It's just happening and you're doing great. Letter three. Hello, Hayes. I think that my past is damaging my current relationship. I've been cheated on in every one of my past relationships, and it's really affected the way that I think about myself. I've been with my current boyfriend for about two years, and we've lived together for just over a year. I like to think of him as someone with high morals. He's creative, supportive, and a little goofy. When we first started dating, I noticed thinking frequently, how did I get him, or why did he choose me? At the time, I brushed it off as the flutters of a new relationship, but as this persists a couple years down the road, I think it stems from a deeper issue. Throughout our relationship, we've had a couple of riffs about my jealousy. For example, he has a female friend that he plays music with. They met before we started dating, and they're open about their friendship. I find myself comparing their friendship to our relationship, though, and I feel self-conscious about the things that they bond about that we can't, such as music. What if he realizes that they get along better than we do? Hayes, I need some advice on improving my self-esteem so I can show up better in this relationship. I don't like the feelings of insecurity and worry. I want our relationship to be laid back, and I don't want to limit his friendships. He has full trust in me, including in my male friendships, and I love how that feels. I want to be able to do the same for him. For us. Yours, Miss Insecurity. Okay, the first homework assignment I want to give you, Miss Insecurity, is ask some people you trust, two people minimum, What's something you love about me that you wish I loved about myself? I'm being serious. Ask them that. Like, come up with the people right now, and I want you to ask them. Don't be ashamed. We need people. And you can say, I'm working on my self-esteem. I'm struggling with my self-esteem right now. And Hayes suggested that I ask some people close to me what they love about me. I went on a trip um, many years ago, a leadership trip. And part, we had this assignment before we went on the trip, which was to ask three different people in our lives a series of questions similar to that one. And they sent the questions. I think it was like, what's something you love about them? What do you think makes them special? And also, what's an area for improvement? We don't need to do that for you. They gave it to me on a piece of paper and I put it in an envelope and then we waited to open it up all together when we were on this trip. And it was one of the most powerful things ever to receive positive, constructive, loving feedback from people that I trust and admire. We should all do that more. This is why we have people in life, to lift us up and to support us. And in these moments that you're talking about where you are questioning yourself, you're struggling, it's okay to say you're struggling. We have to, we can lean on them. We can ask them. Asking people what they love about us is a really wonderful reminder. It's a really, it's a really great place to start. It's sort of like how with ChatGPT, people are talking like, okay, it's not going to fix the problem. It's not going to give you everything. It's not going to suddenly be writing incredible screenplays, though maybe it will, but it gives you a jumping off point. If you don't know how to write an email, ask ChatGPT how to write the email. 
you'll make you'll need to make some edits, but it's a good place to start. Sometimes we need a jumping off point. I need jumping off points all the time. I just sometimes we just need people to tell us what we're good at. We need a reminder. And you can tell your friends that. You say, I'm working on my self-esteem. And Hayes suggested that I ask some people close to me what they love about me so I can see it too. I'm serious. Go do that now. Self-esteem does come from the self. But what is the point of friends if not to ask them how they feel about us so that we can feel that way about ourselves too? I've noticed recently that every time I ask for help, every time I admit that I'm not doing okay to my inner circle, to people that I trust and admire, that's key here. Every time I ask them, (laughs) I'm reminded that I should do that more often. I'm reminded that other people, connection is the answer. I always feel better. I always feel better every time I ask for help. Asking the right people for help. That's key. We should not go asking people who aren't there for us for help. The key is asking people who love you and who you know are there for you. Don't go to your boyfriend right now for that. Not that I think he's bad or that he doesn't love you or any of those things. I, 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 I don't, don't, don't think I'm saying that. But I want this exercise of self-esteem to come from outside of your relationship. Because what happens outside of your relationship, the positive growth that you feel there and the connection you feel with other people, I think will inspire that same, that same feeling within your, within your relationship with him. Your letter reminds me of that saying, we can't be loved until we love ourselves. And I call bullshit on that. A lot of people call bullshit on that. It's problematic because it implies that if we're struggling with, if, we, if we're having a mental health struggle, it implies that we're not worthy of love. So I don't like that phrase. There are ways that it could be true. If we don't love ourselves, if we don't know how to choose ourselves, then we might pick people who are bad for us. We might engage in self-sabotage. But I do believe that you can be on the journey to love yourself. You can be learning to love yourself. You can be learning to act on the love for yourself and still be loved deeply and truly. So yes, we absolutely do need to work on your self-esteem, but I don't want you to feel like you're doomed. I don't want you to feel like your current relationship is doomed because you're not there yet. One thing that I do wonder about is you sort of brush past the cheating detail in your letter. You said, I've been cheated on in every one of my relationships. I'm curious what you learned in those situations. Your learnings are missing from your letter, and I think that there, I think that some self-esteem can be found in those answers. Because listen... It isn't doing you any favors. When we have a pattern in our life, a pattern that we're unhappy about, it does not do, we don't do ourselves any favors when we just chalk it up to bad luck or when we don't spend the time trying to figure out what we can learn from it. So I want you to ask yourself, what did I learn here? If I've been cheated on in every one of my relationships, what can I take from that? And here are some answers that I won't accept from that question. I won't accept saying that you learned you were unlovable, okay? I won't accept saying that you think I'm ugly, I'm bad in bed, I'm X, Y, Z. None of these answers can be rooted in self-hatred, okay? The type of answers that we're looking for are, actually, let me give you, instead of telling you what answers we're looking for, I'm going to give you some more specific questions to ask. You can ask yourself, were there any red flags that I ignored? Were there things that I settled for? How did the situations differ from each other? What similarities did these people have? What similarities did these relationships have? I think those questions might be helpful for you because right now you're sort of bucketing the cheating in one big I've been cheated on category, but, and you say it's affected you, which I believe you that it has, 
But being more specific and realizing that not all cheating is the same necessarily, I think you'll find some self-esteem there because you'll be able you'll be able to pull some facts out of these situations instead of just loss and feeling, right? They've made you become a jealous person. That's part of what you're saying. My past experience in my relationships has given me this jealousy problem. That's a feeling, and it's a repercussion that is real and that we're going to work on. But I wonder if there are some other facts that you can learn. For example, if you ignored, if there was a red flag that you ignored, we all ignore red flags when we want something to be true. I did it in a lot of jobs. When I wanted a job to work out, I ignored some red flags in the beginning. I ignored my gut feeling that something wasn't right here. If that's something that you can learn about some of these relationships about yourself, that can be useful in this current relationship and in any relationships that you have in the future. And again, we can lean on our friends in this situation. You do not need to do this alone because these questions are painful. Maybe you shouldn't do it alone. Who do you trust in your life that you can sit with and ask these questions and have a conversation about it? Sometimes the people close to us who love us can see things more clearly than we can. Similar to just like how they can tell us the things that they love about us, what makes us special. They can also help us see things that we might have missed when we had our goggles on. Having facts will be helpful to you because then when you start to feel jealous in this current relationship, you can ask, do I have any evidence to support the fear of being cheated on? Do I have evidence of myself ignoring things that I was ignoring before? I ultimately don't know enough about you or this relationship with your current boyfriend to chime in on whether I think there are red flags. I don't think it's a red flag, but he has a female friend. I don't. If you said to me that he has a female friend who he plays music with and he lies to you about where he is, that could be a problem. But that isn't what you're saying to me. The one thing you said that I thought was peculiar was, I like to think of him as someone with high morals. My follow-up question for you there is, is that your former self-talking? I like to think of him as someone with high morals. There's doubt there. Is that doubt being fueled by your insecurity and the part of you that doesn't know if you can trust anybody? Or do you have evidence to believe that he doesn't have high morals? Which one is it? And I think you should ask yourself that follow-up question. What did you mean by that? You might have just typed it to me without even thinking. I think people do that sometimes. They just write a sentence. But it's what I always think it's useful to think, oh, well, what did I mean by that? Was it actually thoughtless? Did it not mean anything? Was it just the turn of phrase that I used because I wasn't thinking so much? Or can it tell me something about how I feel about this situation? To talk more about your relationship, I do understand your fear of not being able to connect over music. But just because you don't play music doesn't mean you can't connect with it, right? There are multiple ways to connect over something. We can connect by someone teaching. You can connect by him playing music for you and you listening. You can connect by talking about his love for music. There are so many things that my husband and I don't share interest in. Running is one of them in particular. Brian was a competitive runner growing up and he still loves to run. And he said that he always thought he was going to marry a runner. And actually, in the beginning of our relationship, that made me self-conscious too. Like, am I not going to be good enough? Am I not going to be able to compare? Because he thought that he was going to marry someone who runs. And it doesn't matter. It might matter if I wasn't allowing him to run or if I didn't embrace his identity as a runner. But I love that Brian's a runner. Brian goes for, you know, two, three runs every week now that we're in California. And I've started to run a little bit. 
people who followed me back in May will know that I ran a 5K. And the hilarious thing is that it wasn't an organized race. But Brian really wanted me to run. And I don't like running. I hate running, actually. Though I will admit that after I run, I do feel better. My mental health does feel better. So maybe I'm going to pick up again. But we had, he planned a little 5K for me. It was not an organized race. It was literally like a he plotted the mileage in a really nice neighborhood in Santa Monica. And I needed an incentive. So he gave me, the incentive was that if I ran a 5K without stopping, he would buy me a pinky ring. And the joke was on him because he didn't realize how nice pinky rings can be. But that was something I did. Sure, because I, you know, the materialistic funny version is that I wanted a pinky ring. But really, I wanted to show him that I care about something that he loves. I want to participate in something that he loves. I can't run 13 miles with him at a six-minute pace, but I can show interest in other ways. You can show interest and participate in his life as a musician in other ways. Just because you can't play with him or write music with him or whatever he does doesn't mean that you can't connect over it. You can say that to him. You can say, I want to connect with you over music. Ask him questions about his music. Ask him to play for you. If you take a more proactive role in connecting with him over this, it might help quell some of these feelings. Taking that a step further, I'm curious in what ways your boyfriend shows up for you and what bonding looks like for the two of you. Our partners are not responsible for our baggage. So our partners in general are not responsible for healing us completely. We have to take responsibility for our own shit. But partnership is growing together. That's what a partnership is about, right? You take two imperfect people because we're all imperfect, we're all flawed, and we're on our own individual journeys together, side by side. There's definitely a piece of this that's on you, but I'm curious how you talk about this problem with him. I wonder how you're bringing him into this insecurity that you're dealing with, because I can see how it would become a problem if the way he's brought in to this jealousy topic is that you're constantly asking him questions and making him tell you that they're not, that he's not cheating on you or that he doesn't have feelings for her. I can see how that would become really frustrating and could potentially be a relationship ender. However, I do think he will and should play a role in your healing journey. He might not be the driving force, but as a partner, he is, you know, in the seat next to you. And I think that the way he can help you heal is by building a strong foundation of your relationship together. So what does bonding look like? What does your special time look like? If you're feeling insecure about the fact that he plays music with her and they have this connection, what are some things that the two of you connect on? Do you have sufficient connecting time? Do you have time each week where the two of you are just really focusing in on each other? Do you have a weekly date? And a weekly date doesn't need to mean that you're going out somewhere, but do you have time when phones are away and you're, you're in conversation with each other? What are the things that you need in this relationship? Where might you be lacking and how can we start to solve for them? Another thing I'm curious about, you said that they're open about their friendship. What does that mean? Does it mean that he's open and honest about when he's seeing her? That's bare minimum, right? Like, if you live with someone, it would be weird if they were lying to you about where they're going. But when you say open, do you mean that they include you in their friendship? I wonder if that would be helpful here too, for you to feel included. It's okay for them to have their own separate friendship. You don't need to join every single one of their music sessions and, you know, sit there Yoko Ono style. But maybe it would help if you showed interest in getting to know her. Could you two form your own friendship? It's not necessary, but feeling more involved, part of his music life, might mean getting to know his musician friend. It's always good to have more friends. But keep trusting your gut here, okay? Keep trusting your gut. And for you, 
it's going to be really important to be able to differentiate what is gut and what is jealousy, what is self-sabotage. I'm hoping that those reflection questions about what you learned from your past cheating experience will help you tell the difference. And also asking some friends for support, I'm hoping that that will help too. You won't be missing security forever, okay? You're going to get through it. And that's it for this week's episode. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, and just some real talk for a minute. This episode did not go entirely according to plan. And it's partially because of how much I move when I talk. If any of you podcast listeners came from TikTok, then you see the way that I, you see the way that I talk. I use my hands a lot. I move. Usually it's fine. Usually it's fine, but this time it wasn't. So the problems. For one, I wasn't speaking directly into the mic the whole time, which affected the audio. You know, sometimes my head was looking to the right and the microphone wasn't to your right, Hayes. The microphone wasn't to your right. And also, since I was moving around so much, I guess I had set the camera to some incorrect autofocus function and the majority of the video came out entirely blurry. So this week's episode does not have a full video portion. Anyway, those are some things I learned this week and I'll, I will not make those mistakes again. I'll be better next week. Again, I'm really grateful for your attention and for your patience with me while I think. And if you made it this far and you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. We have 450 five-star reviews right now across different podcast platforms, which I think is pretty awesome. Uh, reading them, Reading them has just given me a lot of pride. So thank you so much for taking the time to share your positive words. Okay, enough from me. I'll see you next Tuesday. Love you, Hazelnuts.